Hey, it's Jermichael Jordan, and I want to welcome you back to Decoded. Decoded. For those, if this is your first time, because it's been a while since we've been on here for My Story Mondays, um, thank you for joining us. If this is your first time, welcome. If you have been on before, then thank you for returning and coming back. As you know, we have great conversations on Monday nights. And it's been a while since I've been on here, like I said, but the whole point of My Story Mondays is several years ago, I started, out, started off on a quest to write a book. Um, and it's been a challenge getting it done. For the most part, it's been done for several years, but it's always that perfectionist in me or just those um, moments that I feel like it's still incomplete or needs a little something more. And so one thing I will say is that Jermichael, my brother, he is my younger brother, has really inspired me to go ahead and finish my book. And so um, I'm going to allow him to talk a little bit about his book. He is a new author, his very first book. So the floor is yours, Michael. Absolutely. Thank you. First of all, I appreciate you allowing me to be on your My Story Mondays. Um, I think this is a small seed of what God is going to do in your life and what he's going to do through just who you are and the personality that you have and the gifts that you have. So I'm excited to say I'm here for the technical difficulties. I, I'm here for the beginning. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> better. But um, as you said, I am Jermichael Jordan. I am your younger brother. I am son of Pastor Tanae and Angela Jordan, uh, born in Chattanooga, Tennessee, raised in Fort Wayne, Indiana, um, graduate of the University of Memphis, where I met my wife, Amanda Jordan. We have two children together. We're married, have two children, two boys named Micah and Nason. Micah is four years old and Nason is two years old. Um, I'm a business owner, entrepreneur, and I'm a new author. So I don't know. <laughs> well, we are very, very proud of you and um, your new book. And I'm going to show it. So if you all can see it, um, this is the new book. I have my little virtual background on, so you can't really see it because I think my little virtual background is kind of fancy, but um, it's called, like I said, Decoded. If you can kind of see it, there it is. It's a great book. So if you have not gotten it, you can go on and we'll talk about this again at the end, jermichaeldjordan.com to purchase the book. And so as we get started talking about your book, I want to know what is the book Decoded about? And who is it for? So decoded, that's, that's a very simple question. You would think it would be a very easy way for me to answer that, but decoded is layered with so much. So it's hard to kind of just focus on, but this is what I'm gonna say. Decoded is a book specifically written uh, for those who are in search for purpose. Uh, decoded, it's a book that meets you exactly where you are, your pursuit of destiny and purpose. It doesn't matter if you're on the verge of self-destruction or self-discovery. Uh, the book Decoded is, is almost like a tool. It helps you uh, reimagine and helps you to look over all of your past experience and examine those random pieces in our lives uh, that helps us to really figure out who we are. And I believe that everything that we go through in life is an experience 
it's almost a clue that God gives us. And so decoded helps us look at those experiences as clues to decode the identity and uh, the God ordained purpose that he has for our life. So that was a lot, but that's that in a nutshell. Now that's awesome. That's awesome to give us a good overview on what the book is about. And so one thing I will say, like I said, my story Monday started because I am also writing a book and to be honest, it took me a long time. Normally, I am the go-to for Jamaica when it comes to editing, some of the editing, when it comes to reading and giving feedback. But I intentionally did not read his book because our books that we're writing are very, very similar. And so I did not want, you know, um, for in, to read his and then any of his ideas kind of overtake mine or my ideas and, you know, that kind of thing. And so I was very intentional about not reading his book until it was released. So when it was released, I'm actually glad it worked out that way because I was very impressed. I know that my brother, Jermichael, I know that he is a excellent writer, but I didn't know he, I didn't know you were this good. I, let's, I'm just going to be honest. This was very, very well written. Um, and I mean, I learned so much. I had so many aha moments. We talk all the time, but it's something different when it's on paper. You know, I think that when it's on paper, you have a lot more opportunity to go more in depth with the conversation. And so I had a lot of aha moments and I'm going to bring up some of those moments um, as we're talking. But what truly, truly inspired you to write this book? What truly inspired what truly inspired me to write this book? Um, I wrote this book during a season, a very difficult season. And that season was COVID, the quarantine, the pandemic of 2022. I think that was a time that was really difficult for a lot of individuals. It was almost the shaking up of what was normal and introducing us to this life that we have never lived and never experienced. And through that moment of being shaken from our normal, we found ourselves going through a lot of questioning, asking ourselves a lot of questions. Where do we go from here? What do I do now? Will I have a job once this is over? What am I really here for? What is my purpose? And all of these questions were not only plaguing my mind, but they were plaguing the minds of my friends and the people that I surround myself with my inner circle. And so I said, you know what, God, I refuse to go into this moment in time in history that has never been done, but we've never seen this before on this magnitude and then not leave better or with something during this time that he's given us. And so I believe he gave us two years and we just shut the world down and we had a lot of downtime. And so I said, I'm gonna utilize this moment to number one, uh, document this experience, but also reflect over my life and figure out how did I get to this point, right? I think we all get go through life, um, going through the motions sometimes. And when we look up, it's 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, we're like, whoa, how did we get here? because we never stopped to examine those moments. And so what inspired this book, me to write this book, was really to give explanation to some of those questions that we have that we don't share with everybody else. But if I could write it in a way where I could be honest and transparent, I know that I was going to be able to answer questions that people were afraid to ask or, you know, afraid to admit they didn't know. So that's what inspired it. That's good. So during COVID, you're right. I think like you said, decoded, I mean, not decoded, but COVID um, helped a lot of people be able to decode things. Um, I know for me during that time, one of my biggest revelations during COVID is one of the things I would say beforehand is I just don't have enough time. I just don't have enough time. And then when COVID hit, it was like I had more time than I normally have. And I still didn't complete some of the things that I wanted to complete um, during that time. And so I had to be very intentional. But what 
I will say that I was able to complete during those last two years, the, these last two years, um, I've grown more spiritually, um, mentally, emotionally, all of those things, physically too, I've grown big time. <laughs> but I've grown a lot during that time, but it's been so good because during that time I was able to decode those different things in my life. And so the one thing I really like about your book, the decoded, I like the picture. I like the picture. I took my little background off and I probably need to take off the blur because I still can't show what I'm trying to show. I'm going to show it. Thank you. Let me cut off my look. I'm just trying to be fancy. Yes. That's it. So I wanted you to show that because there we go. Because I think that this picture is, um, it's very unique. It's very unique. When I look at it one day, I see one thing. I see a butterfly. When I look at it another day, I feel like I see a face. When I look at it another day, it's like I'm always trying to decode what this image is. So I want to know what's behind this image. How did you come up with the design of this book? Yeah, so that image that you're looking at is actually, most people call it an ink blot, but it's really called a Rorschach image. And the Rorschach image was a uh, Herman Rorschach. He mm -hmm. was a, a Swiss psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. And in 1921, he came up with the Rorschach test. And so if you watch movies, you've seen it. If you've had, went to a psychiatrist before, you know that they show you images. It's usually like 10 pictures and they're all different. And mm -hmm. then you're supposed to look at this image and say, and look at it and say, what is your perception of what this image is, is showing? And so the Rorschach test is a psychological test um, which the subjects, they look at it and basically whatever their perception is, that's what they go. And the doctors, they analyze it to interpret exactly what the patient is, is really going through. And so some psychiatrists use it to examine a person's personality, the characteristics, their emo emotional functionings. Um, it's really created to detect the underlying thought disorders that we all have. A lot of people, when you say mental disorders, a lot of people get, oh my God. But the truth is we all got mental disorders. We really Absolutely. do. And so it takes moments of someone being able to listen to our thoughts, being able to decode things that we aren't saying, but they're underlining, they're there. And so this image I picked because of that very reason, what you said, you said, sometimes I look at it and it's this, or sometimes I look at it and I see this. That's literally what we're, life is all about. Mm, that's good. Every time you look at me, I'm going to look totally different mm -hmm. than I did last week. Your perception of me is going to be totally different now that I'm a grown man than it was when I was a middle schooler. I was in high school following up behind you. I was a child then. Now I'm an adult. And so what you see changes. And so I think that's important when we start talking about who we are, who God created us to be, because we're just like their, that Rorschach image. Um, who I am to... This person, I may not be that to that other person. So it's all about perception. That's good. I like that. So you all who have joined us in the chat is quite a bit of you all here. So I want you all to talk back to us. Ask your questions to Jermichael. If you have the book and you've read the book, feel free to put your comments, your thoughts about the book. If you have questions for him, put them in the chat and I'll be checking the chat throughout this talk. So Jermichael, with you being my younger brother, I've known you all your life. You haven't known me all mine, but I've known you all yours. And so that's why I say I know you better than you think you know me. All yours, all your years account. I know all that. <laughs> so I've been able to really see your journey and see some of the things that I read about in the book. Um, one thing I know about you, you are 
primarily a pretty private person. Um, and so when I read the book and I saw how transparent and honest the book is, I was, I'll be honest, I was a little shocked at how honest you were willing to be and how tra transparent you will, you're, you were willing to be. And I think one of the challenges um, for us as individuals is that we sometimes try to present ourselves in a certain way because we always want to look like we have it all together, um, whether it's a method of survival, whether it's a image or pride issue, whatever the issue may be, we like people to see the best sides of us most times. Um, and the only people that really get to see those, uh, maybe those valleys that we go through or those um, attitudes and the negative sides of us are those who are closest to us most times. But you opened yourself up to the world with this book. And I want to know, um, where did you find that courage? How difficult was it? Or was it not difficult at all to be able to open up, up and let us in on your journey? For sure. It, it's funny because it goes back to perception. Um, I think a lot of people don't really know who Jermichael is. Because truth of the matter, I'm really an introvert, extrovert. I go inside. I know how to turn it on. But when I turn it off, I'm back to being me, very quiet, very subdued. And so writing this book, as you said, was, was a bit of a challenge at first because I'm saying, okay, when I write this book, I don't know whose hands it's going to end up in. I don't, I, I'm no longer going to be in front of that person to be able to explain what they read or try to shift their perception of what they read and what it really means. But the truth of the matter is I had to get to a point where I said I didn't care. And I think as I've grown, as I'm maturing, as I'm becoming a father, as I'm becoming a husband, I'm getting to the point to where I'm realizing that the people that I involve myself with on a daily basis they need real we're living in a time and a culture where people want real they want transparency they want to know that you feel the things that i feel that you're not a superhero that you're not this this image that 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 social media will make you look like i think we live in a very image driven society now i think when you look at social media everybody's posting their highlight reels everybody's posting their promotions their their engagements, their relationships. It, but the truth of the matter is once that flash goes off and they put that camera back in their phone, life really happens. Yeah. And so for me being transparent in this book, it was a challenge, but it was something that God burdened me to do because he said that if you be honest and if you share your experience, you're gonna do more for people than it would be if you just gave 0 0.1, 0 0.2 and just try to write, you know what I mean? I had to be real. And, and I mean, real you are. And I love it because just like you said, people are so used to now seeing everybody's highlight reels um, and those social media pages that they feel like they're not measuring up because it seems like everybody around them is doing so much better than them. And so it's funny because when I open up on the times that I'm um, transparent on my Facebook posts or when I'm speaking and different things, it's those moments that I have the most feedback from people that I get the, and they don't always put it on my post. I get so many inboxes. I'm just sharing like, thank you for posting that. Thank you for sharing that. I'm going through the same thing. And, you know, I had no clue. And so I think it's very important. I've always said that I don't true. I don't believe that God allows us to go through anything just for us. I, I always say that. I think that everything we go through serves a uh, multi-purpose. It's for us 
But then it's also for those that we're supposed to share it out with um, when the time is right and when the time comes to let them know that, you know, you don't have to stumble over the same stumbling blocks that I did. You don't have to go down the same path that I did. And so with you being a pastor, um, I know it's probably very difficult sometimes to be able to share that side of you. You want people to know that you're, you're a real person and that you have struggles, but then sometimes is there a balance between letting people know that I'm a real person and opening up and then the balance between um, you have to have this certain image because why would somebody listen to me if they know I have all this going on? Is that sometimes still a struggle or has it become easier since you um, opened up in the book? I would say in the past, it has been a struggle uh, because it is that balance of being showing who you are but not showing too much because some people aren't uh equipped or ready to handle your humanity and i think sometimes especially now we live in such a a, a culture that prides and really gets off on on stepping on other people or highlighting other people's faults or downfalls and so it's, it's almost one of those things where it's like you want to give enough but not too much to where it can be used against you yeah. but the truth of the matter is you have to get to a point and i've gotten to the point to where I know who God is. I know who created me to be. And really, it goes back to that scripture. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. So it really doesn't matter because however perfect you're trying to portray, portray yourself as, you have flaws just like me. We have flaws. Just let's not even play that game. You know what I mean? So let's be open and honest. And so for me, it was a struggle. But now it's getting to the point to where I'm living for my children, right? Mm -hmm. And I want them to be able to say, hey, my dad lived in front of me. I think that's one of the greatest things that we were able to see uh, growing up in the house with a pastor and a first lady, because we know what that image is. We know what it's like to have to lead people, to have to lead people while you're hurting, to have to lead people while you're bleeding, while they're talking about you, while they're 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 uh, betraying you, all types of things. And then we were able to see that with mom and dad. You know, they were honest with us to say, "Hey, you know what? That was that was hurtful. It's not true, but." This is what they're saying. This is what's all involved. And you have to be prepared for that. And so if I can live my life in a way to where my children can live free by knowing their dad lives free, then I think we're setting up a trajectory for our family that's going to be just profound because people need honesty. They need transparency. That's right. That's good. So I'm going to go to the comments. Um, I see Terrence said that's good stuff. Cornelia said that's me. TJ said, I guess he's talking about himself. He's an omnibird. Um, Angel said, your transparency will help a lot of people. She said, your transparency hasn't changed anything that I have always thought about you. Still very proud of you. Um, TJ said, transparency breaks chains. Yes, it does. And then we have other people just making comments. Um, be sure to put your questions. If you have any questions, be sure to put it in there. Jamar said, it's all about competition on social media. Who better than who and why? But then the question is, why do I feel this way when I can do better myself? That's right. That's right. So it was, I went through, as I was reading your book, um, I have a signed copy, y'all. So I'm very proud of my, my signed copy. And I actually bought another copy from him so that I could highlight because I didn't want to highlight in my signed copy. And then I misplaced my other book. So I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to highlight my book and so i'll be purchasing even more books um without highlights and i need a new new autograph as well but i went through and i have so much highlighted in this book it's like 
so much yellow. But what I did is I went through and I pulled some things, some aha moments that I had, um, some things that really stuck out to me, some things that I thought would be very helpful to our audience and the people who would be joining us on tonight. And so one of those things is that in the book, you said, um, for years, I have preached to others about what it meant to trust God and how he would come through. But it wasn't until I had to actually trust the same words I spoke had spoken to others um, that it became real to me. And I can witness to that. I've been in that same place. And in the book, and I, I'm going to be very careful not to give out too much information because I'll tell it all when it comes to the book, because I'm just so excited about it. And there's so many things that stick out to me. So I'll try to keep it light. But in the book, you talked about a very dark place that you experienced. Do you want to just talk about that a little bit and then um, talk about, and you've kind of covered that a little bit as far as the little statement, the statement I just made about being able to speak those same words to yourself that you spoke to others. Tell us about that dark place and how you got to that point. For sure. So um, I think the chapter that you're referring to is the valleys. Uh, what is it with the valleys? Yeah. Valley experiences. I'm pretty sure that's what you're talking yeah, something about. like that. <laughs> the valleys to add value. Is that yeah, it? Valleys to add value. I, I want to be sure. So, in that chapter, I'm. I, um, I guess you're talking about that's the transparent chapter. So, in that chapter, I was talking about um a, a moment in time in my life where things were just just crazy. Um, I had just gotten married. I was working for you and stopped the madness at the time. And so um, I think during that time, South Atlanta was a nonprofit and things were just, everything was changing. Uh, the funding wasn't as frequent as it was happening. And so here I am just getting married, finding out we're a year in. She's just told me that she's pregnant. So we got a baby on the way. Um, as you, if you know anything about nonprofit, you know that sometimes you get paid, sometimes you don't. And so this was what the moment where I wasn't getting paid. And so I had to come to a critical uh, moment with myself to say, you know what? things are difficult. And if I don't find something that is going to sustain my family in this moment, things could really get bad. Well, things really got bad. <laughs> it took me a long time to find a, a job. I mean, I tried everything. I put in applications everywhere. I was reaching out to people who I even helped get jobs at a time. And there were so many promises being made to me, doors being slammed in my face, things that uh, employee, employers telling me that I was too qualified, others telling me I was underqualified. Then on top of that, my wife was pregnant, so you can already imagine the emotions that are happening with that. And then let's be honest, we were working together as a brother and sister on the same team. There was a lot of stress in the office. We were a short man staff, it was just you and I doing things. And so my life was just really out of whack. And so I went through this dark, dark period in my life where I was really trying to figure out who I was what God was purposing me to do. Um, everything that I had tried was failing. And I had preached to people before. I was already ministering. I was preaching to people to say, you know, God will provide. God will do this. He'll do that. You just got to trust and believe. But I'm going to be honest. That was my first time having to have a real experience and say, you know, this Christian thing, I hear what you say. I hear what you preach to others. But it ain't happening for me like, like you said it would. And I've heard people say this, but to actually have to experience that for myself, I'm saying, whoa. So that gave me a whole nother level of sensitivity when it comes to ministering and really reaching people because I can now say that experience has allowed me to sit in your feet. Like I know the shoes that you're walking in. Yeah. And so for me, that was a dark time and I went through depression. Um, 
I be being honest, went through a drinking spell, was drinking all all day to go to sleep, to wake up. There was so much going on. On top of it, I'm trying to be a husband. I've never done this before. Um, and our and our marriage was really strained at that time. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like the world was against me. Mm -hmm. I feel like there were other people to blame. Uh, I was very passionate off on other people. And so for me, I was just upset. I was upset with life. I was tired of life and I needed to change. And so that was my Valley experience. And it seemed like it lasted forever. But the jewels that I learned in that experience, the, 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 the faith that I gained in that experience, the doors that were open, not by man in that experience, exposed me to so much. And I'm grateful for it now on the other side. Yeah. So when I was reading that book, so this is my transparent moment. <laughs> so when I was reading that book and I was reading about that stage in your life, I think it's kind of natural when you're reading somebody's experience of you um to want to kind of justify or explain you know well you said this about me but this is what was going on but at the end of the day it really what I appreciated about it is because I remember that stage and that was a very difficult time for us um we have always been close and working together I tell people all the time doing business with family and just being family, those are two totally different things. And if you don't set strict boundaries in certain places, it does have the ability to change the dynamics of your relationships. And so during that time, it was a very difficult time for both of us. But reading your book, what it did was I had my perspective because what you didn't really know is that while you're in your valley season, I was in my valley season. You know, and you were, God was trying to do something with you and move you in a different direction, which was not with the nonprofit. For me, that was my life. I slept, I ate, I breathed, um, stopped the madness. And so when you weren't given the same passion that I was giving, and I knew that I was where we kind of were in the organization, um, that was hard for me, you know, and so it did create a lot of, um, I don't want to say hostile. That's what you said in your book. So I'll just say hostile. I I didn't hostile. Maybe I was in danger and didn't know it because I didn't call it hostile, but very uncomfortable and a lot of tension. It yeah. was a lot of tension in the office. And I remember I would get so upset with you. But what, like I said, what you didn't know is I was going through my Valley experience as well, because that was the time, the same time God was trying to move you out God was trying to move me out of Stop the Madness and trying to get me to let it go. But I was holding on so tight because I didn't want to let go for various reasons. Um, and so he had to make it so uncomfortable, uncomfortable for me, too. So the reason I said that is because oftentimes when I was reading that, it gave me a whole different perspective on what you were going through. You know, I knew the basis, but when I read how you were dealing with the family issues, being a new husband, being a new father, then the finances. I mean, putting myself in your shoes, it changed everything for me. And I think that that's why it's so important to have that transparency. And so often we judge people based off of our experience of them when we don't understand their experience that they're going through, what they're experiencing. And so I think that that um, for me was definitely an aha moment. Like, man, I knew he was going through, but I didn't know it was like that. And so it gave me more compassion for you. And I actually felt a little guilty in the way, not all the way, because I still, I still justify some of this stuff, but it, I'm just joking. 
but it really did um, give me a whole different perspective and made me really think about how and what I would have done differently during that time. So um, thank you for that transparency because that was eye-opening for me as well. For sure. And I, and I think hindsight is always twenty twenty, right? And, and I think that's where you have to get in the posture in your heart of being forgiving um, because we don't know the details and the ins and outs of everyone's experience and what they're going through. And so I have, I think that has allowed me to be very patient with people, um, not to judge so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think we do that a lot with people. I think we do that a lot with society. We judge what we hear, what we don't know about a person. We judge what we think or what we believe. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've, I've been in places where people say, oh, he's arrogant. No, I'm not arrogant. I'm nervous. I, I don't, you know what I'm saying? This is what I do when I get nervous, but I'm in a place where I don't know, you know, the, the lay of the land, you know? So we have to be very patient with people and slow to be judgmental. And so I thank you. I appreciate you for that apology. And I apologize to you as well during that time. I was not the most, uh, reliable employee <laughs> yeah, definitely not but I don't know you said apology I was going in that direction but I did not say I don't think I said actually the words I'm sorry so officially I'm just gonna say I'm sorry but I think like you said those were great when we look back those were great experiences for both of us so thank you for sharing that um let's go to the comments a little bit uh Angela said I remember the stage because you distanced yourself um chris said that the world needs more people like jamichael let me see if i can pull it up my screen just went dead people the world needs more people like jamichael and we have lots of comments and i'll just come back to them once i'm able to pull it back up so what was your favorite part of the book what was your favorite part my favorite part of the book the process of writing the book or my favorite part in the book both answer both well my favorite part the process of the book was actually probably coming up with the cover art the details of the inside the manuscript i had a lot of help um from individuals who really played an integral part in putting the book together helping me put the project together um i'm one of those people i write i write i write and then i get to a place where i'm like okay i don't know what else to do And so I'm smart enough to know that sometimes when you don't know what to do, you have to rely on people that know what to do. And so I reached out to some very important individuals who really just pushed me along to the next steps after writing. And uh, I just want to give a shout out right now. Um, One was Janae Roberson uh, with Awaken You Publishing. Uh, She was very instrumental on just showing me how to get this thing set up as far as the back office and doing things like that. She had a team that she worked with to help me get the design of the inside of the cover and things of that nature. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Very appreciative. I had a a young lady by the name of Miss Beverly from Nashville, Tennessee. She was able to be my first editor in my book and she edited that thing up. She structured it because Lord knows my mind goes like this all the time. So she just brought all that in, said, hey, this is I see what you're trying to say. This is where you're trying to go. And then my lovely, lovely, wonderful aunt, Miss Denise Stewart, uh, was my final editor. And man, when I tell you what they did with, with the post editing and things like that, just really was, was, was amazing. However, second part, my favorite part in the book is probably the chapter about game changer. You are a game changer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I really believe that everybody's a game changer. Everybody has influence. And I believe that God created us and he put us in this earth to create some type of change, to do something, to bring something out of the earth. And mm-hmm. so 
I know a lot of times people look in the mirror and they say, hey, I have nothing to offer or I don't have influence or what's influential about me. Nobody wants to be like me or where, how can I make a difference? And the truth is, it don't matter how big or how small, you have something that this world needs. You have something that uh, your job needs, your family needs, whether it be just your healing, something about you, uh, God can use to change the game wherever you are. And so I think diving into that chapter is one of my favorite chapters in the book. That's so good. That reminds me of a section of your book where it was on page 24 and then I put down page numbers. And everything. I'm telling you, I didn't dissect this book. It's, it's good. You said nothing I have ever been good at was because I had the confidence I was I would succeed. Rather, it was because I have confidence that God will not fail. When you are the king's kid, your skills aren't as important as your faith, willingness and obedience. 110 percent fact. 110% fact. Um, I don't just apply that to endeavors. I apply that to my life. Mm -hmm. And I think it's probably one of the things that frustrates my wife probably the most is because of my faith. Like, even going back to those Valley experience, there were days where, I mean, how are we going to pay this bill? How are we going to do this? And I did not have an answer. All I said, is going to happen. Why? Because I believe that God is going to do it. I, I believe that God loves me so much that he's not going to put me in a position to hurt me. <laughs> he might put me in a position to teach me, to mold me, to train me. He's never going to put me in a position to where I can't get out of it. And so anything that I tipped in life, whether it's a book, which I've never done before, whether it's starting a business, which I was new at, I didn't know how it was going to work, how I was going to get it done. When I started writing this, this book, I did not have the funds to finish it. This right here is an act of faith. Everything about this book is faith. I did not have the money to complete it. I did not have the money to pay the editors, do any of that stuff. But God always provided at the right time, at the right moment. And so God told me, if you write this book, I'm gonna do the rest. And so mm -hmm. that's what I mean when I say anything I've ever done, not because I was great, because I knew he wouldn't fail me. Yeah, and that goes back to the saying where there is vision, if God gives you a vision, he will give you provision. And sure. so it's all about building your faith. And Shakira said, and through it all, you held your composure. Woo, that's good, Mike. Um, someone said those Faith building seasons, but thank God for his joy, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. Yes, Tamara. Jamar says, yes, I've been at that moment and it made you question the faith in which you preach, but you never give up. Keep pushing. It might not happen when you want, but when he's ready. That's right. Um, let's see. Love and transparency is such freedom. Thank you for this. Come talk about grace. Um let's see transparency is key so people are really feeling what you're saying and i think it's because everybody goes through those valley seasons everybody goes through them everybody um valley looks different everybody's length of time that they stay in the valley is different um people's coping mechanisms in the valley are different you know and so it's all about how you go through that season of life and if you go through it with the right heart and you're turning to god and you're trusting god and you are you're allowing it to make you better instead of making your you bitter when you come out on the other side you're so much better and you always like you said a little while ago you always um you never really know what you're going through or understand what you're going through in the midst of it. But it's always that hindsight that you can look back. And I think that when people look back and they aren't grateful or people look back and they just they're bitter or angry, it's because they did not do 
what they were supposed to do during that season. They were too busy trying to figure it out. They were too busy trying to understand it instead of learning the lesson that was supposed to come from that experience. I always say too busy trying to, to survive rather than thrive, right? Mm-hmm. I think if you're going through those experiences, the only thing you're trying to do is survive, right? It's literally like being dropped off in the middle of the jungle, in the middle of a valley, no instructions, no GPS, no directions, and saying, I got to get out of here. And so mm-hmm. you're panicking. You're doing all the things to protect yourself, to make sure that you don't feel that hurt again, or you making sure that you don't have to experience that again. And it puts up a wall, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're not careful, it can put up a wall. You can become bitter. You begin to distance yourself. I went through all of that, right? Mm-hmm. But I think now today on the other side of that, after going through it, surviving it, I'm able to get to a season where I can thrive because I'm going to tell you, before then, my, I was sensitive to a lot of things, right? Mm-hmm. But now my, t- my skin is tough and it almost makes me scared sometimes. Maybe I'm too tough and maybe too detached from the moment that, um, that, that but I pray for that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's all about balance, being sensitive mm-hmm. to know that what you're going through is for a reason, but tough enough to know that whatever you're going through can't stop. Does that make That's- sense? Definitely, definitely. And I remember when you were going through that season, like I remember saying to you, dude, you're changing. Like, I kind of like it, but it's making me a little nervous because normally, you know, when you weren't happy about something, it didn't take much for you to kind of snap or go off or whatever. But then when it got to the point where you weren't snapping, it kind of got a little scary because it's like, okay, he got a little too calm. Like, what's going on? But then I remember us having a discussion and having a talk and you kind of explaining. No, actually, I think I was upset about something. And you were like, Dewan, you can't change it. People are going to be who they are. It's nothing you could do but make a choice for you. You know, you can only control you. And I'm just like, who is this dude? You know, and I love the changes. Um, It was a little difficult getting used to because I wasn't sure like, mm, is this for real or what's going on? But I love, and I can definitely see the growth um, that you've had during that time, since that time and how that growth you've had, how it's um affected your fathering you know just your fathering and your patience and if you think about it God was preparing you during that time because I mean you got two very energetic boys and if you had the patience or lack thereof that you had prior to that I knew before I don't know how that would be working right now and so God knows he's very strategic and he knows what's ahead and so um I love seeing that about you in the book you were talking about um you said, I believe God allows us to run ourselves into life's hard concrete walls. You were talking about during that time how you were trying to do things on your own. And you said you believe that God allows us to run ourselves into life's hard concrete walls at full speed for three reasons. You said to teach us, to make us vulnerable, and to focus our attention. I just thought that was good. And when I was reading it, I was trying to think like, what else could I add there? But I think those are the main, those are the main things is to teach us something. You said to make us vulnerable. And then you said, become vulnerable enough to ask for help. Yeah. Become vulnerable. And I think that's what's so hard for some people, especially when you're the one that um, people are depending on all the time. You're the one that people consider tough. I look at dad and I look at dad um, just in his position that he's been in. 
he's like when our grandparents passed away he was like the go-to you know for everything um he's the one planning the funerals he's the one um you know, well, taking the lead and some of that stuff. He's the one actually doing the funeral. And then you have your own family and um, your in, intermediate, intermediate family. And then you have the church family. And then you have the nonprofit and all of these other things. And it becomes, it comes to the place where it gets to a point where you don't even know how to ask for help. You just know you got to get it done. Yeah. It has to get done. And I think that you talked a lot about that in your book too, when you were talking about being so, um, being so trying to be so dependable and putting so much focus into what other people want you to do and what other people need from you that you neglect your own needs until you reach a point where either you hit that concrete wall or you hit burnout which is still hitting that concrete wall and then um it puts you in a a bad place and it's so hard and it takes so long to get out of that place of burnout. I know I've experienced it. Talk about that. Yeah. It, that's <laughs> that whole space of being dependable, doing too much, not doing enough because of burnout is a very tricky, tricky place to be in because um, depending on what you're doing, sometimes it feels like you're the only one that can do it or you're the only one that has the passion to do it this way. You're the only one that has the know-how, the expose, exposure, or you've seen too much to know that when you're going into a situation, it could be better. I gotta make it better. We can do it better. Uh, you don't know how to do it, or let me do it, or last time you did it, you didn't do it right. And so you take on this maverick attitude to say, you know what, I gotta get it done. I'm gonna get it done, not for to be famous or popular, but it's to make a difference. And when you have that passion, you can be driven to the point to where you miss out on the people who can actually help you or take some of that load off of you. You mentioned dad, uh, been pastoring close to 40 years, 37 years, and all we've ever known was for him to take care of everything. All we've ever known <clears throat> was him to be able to handle it all, or you got a question, he got an answer for everything. And so what happens if you're not careful, uh, th the longer you do that, after a while, you're going to hit that brick wall to where you don't want to do nothing for nobody. You don't care. You didn't held it down for this long. It's their turn to figure it out or they got to figure it out. And it's a very uncomfortable place for the people who's been who have been depending on you because you have been that. But yeah. what do you do when Superman gets tired? What do you do when Spider-Man's webs are, are, are running out? Right. You have to find ways to rest. You have to find ways to um, depend on other people and empower people to be able to do what you do. And so I went through a season of that burnout. I was, I mean, people were calling me left and right. I'm gonna be honest, it's like the family was just calling me, they needed this, other people outside of they needed this. And so I just had to stop. But unfortunately yeah. I stopped and I got comfortable in my complacency of not doing anything because I was burnt out. Mm -hmm. And getting from the place of being burnt out to active again, it's hard. It is. But. It the struggle is once you've been in that dark place and you've been in that burnt out place and you come out of it, you never want to go back. Mm -hmm. And what happens is you start doing more, 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 just yeah. like you did before, yeah. right? You have to find that balance. And I think that's where I am now. I'm finally coming out of my season of burnout. I want to be active, but I don't want to go back to that anymore. And so if you've been following me on social media, I've been, everything I post is a hashtag says balance, balance of work, balance of family, and figuring out how to make those merge. Mm -hmm. that's good 
Um, Terrence said, work from rest. We know where that came from. You're right. Work from rest because that's when you're you're your best, you know, and people are only getting a portion of you when you're working from burnout, if anything at all. Um, and they're not getting the best portions of you. So in the book, it's so much. I got so many notes and we're not even going to be able to cover half of the stuff I, I have on my list. But in my book, I have a chapter called The Game of Spades. Life is like a game of spades. And I talk about how life and I compare it. I tell a story and I compare life to a game of spades and talk about the similarities. But what I noticed in your book, you had some very similar, but it was about chess. Yeah. And that's your game. He, Jamichael, has been trying to teach us how to play chess for a long time. And I just, I just have no desire. It looks cool, but I just don't. But in your book, and th- if you have the book, um, this is in the chapter development, pages 29 and 30. You said, how many times have you sat down at the chessboard of life, ready to make moves, only to realize you are surrounded by pieces on the board that block your next move. You realize the piece that is standing in your way is the one you placed on the board many years ago. Sometimes these pieces can hinder our kings and queens from moving freely across the board of life, similar to the game of chess. And I paraphrase that, so that's not how it all went, but that hit, that hit me. The part of that that hit me, let me read it again. How many times have you sat down at the chessboard of life, ready to make moves, only to realize that you are surrounded by pieces on the board that block your next move? You realize the piece that is standing in your way, the pieces that are standing in your way are the ones you placed on the board years ago. And that hit home for me because I can't tell you how many times when you're younger that you're living for the moment. You're not really living for the future. You're living for the moment. You're living to make sure that you're happy now. You're living to make sure that you feel good now. You're living to make sure that you're enjoying life now and you're having your way now. And you're not really considering like, how does this move that I'm making now, how is that going to affect me in two years, three years, four years, five years, or on down the road? And so when you said that, I just really started thinking about like, I started thinking about different decisions that I made many years ago and how life would have maybe been a little different if I had made a different decision, not living in regret. That's not what I'm saying, but just thinking about, I think that's part of decoding. That's what you're talking about in the book, decoding. I think those are clues for me to really look at so I don't make those mistakes again, that I don't put those same pieces on my board in the same way to block my progress or block um, my way. And so I think about how many people have just made decisions um, for the moment um, for instant gratification, because we have the, um, it's very hard for us to delay gratification. We want everything now. Like you said earlier, we live in a quick, a quick and fast generation where we want everything now and don't want to have to wait and don't want to have to go through the process. And so when you think about like the decisions you're making and how will that stand in my way? And sometimes you don't even know how it's going to affect you in the future. But I really believe that there are many times, not all times, but there are many decisions that we make that we know um, are going to affect us negatively in some way, even if we don't know which way it will be. And so that just really, um, what were you thinking about when you um, started comparing life to a game of chess? How did that come about? So 
<clears throat> if you know the game of chess, which you don't because you won't learn. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> if you know the game about chess, so chess is all about setting up your pieces strategically in advance so that you can come back around later and mm. use the piece to basically help you win the game, right? So I the whole it. point of chess <laughs> is to take the king and get him in a point where it can't move. But sometimes the moves and the things that you do get you in a place where you can't move, but you don't see it as you're making it. And so every move that you make is a counter move based off of your opponent. So when I was writing that, I was actually thinking about the enemy. I was thinking about Satan. Uh, we play this game of chess against him every single day. And so mm -hmm. we're making moves. We're thinking we're getting away. We think we're doing this. We think we're yeah. doing that. And he's like, yeah, go ahead. He'll give, you a little, he'll give you a little space to do this. He'll give you a little space to do that. And you think you got over. And at the end of the day, he's like, checkmate. <laughs> I got you right where I want you. And so for me, I was looking at it from several different ways, whether it be the game of life, uh, the decisions we make, whether it be the, the people we have in our life, our family members, whether it be the people we allow, you know what I mean? So I was thinking about all of that because all of that plays a part in the game of life. And the truth of the matter is, even when you're making decisions, there, there's no blueprint to be the one. <laughs> there's no book that you can read that will help you be you. <laughs> Only yeah. God can do that. Only you and God can do that. There is no book. There was no blueprint for me. There were people that I could look up to and admire and get little things from here and there. But there was nobody holding my hand every decision I made. And so it was almost like trial and error. Some things you're going to get right. Some things you aren't. And you have to give yourself grace for those mistakes. But you have to be conscious with the decisions that you make because they do all come back and play uh, a role in the game. That's right. And Cornelius, Cornelius said uh, right before you said checkmate, he said, I like that. That's almost a checkmate. And you came right behind and said checkmate. <laughs> so I think Cornelius may know how to play chess. <laughs> so that was so good. Um, and just even going a little deeper into that, I remember just like, just like I said, so many different aspects of my life and how I didn't understand the piece then, but how now at 41, it makes so much sense. For example, I remember I, I went to undergrad for criminal justice, graduated, I became a probation officer and I ended up going back to school, grad school for business. Now, Criminal justice and business don't really sound like they go together. And in my head, they really didn't. I just knew that I was wanted to run, I was going to be running Stop the Madness. And I was like, you know what? Let me go get this degree. That that's literally why I went. Plus, I was going through my valley experience and I needed something to distract me. So I said, I'll enroll in grad school. I felt like that was the safest thing to do than get involved in other stuff. And so I went and I enrolled in grad school. And it wasn't till I got into Stop the Madness and started working it um, and getting well acquainted with it that I realized how my criminal justice background and how my business background worked out and worked together. Um, and now I still didn't see it all then. It was making a little bit more sense. And I looked at it more so like I see how, you know, I had experienced the parents. I was working with adult felons. So I experienced some parents and the issues they were going through. So then when I started working with the kids, I understood why some of the kids may have been in some of the situations. And then I understood both sides of it. Right, but right. then it was two years later when God started trying to move me from Stop the Madness. Um, one reason I didn't want to let go is because I said, if I let go of this, who's going to serve the children that we're serving? Because we had a very unique group that we were working with that other people weren't working with, which is why we decided to work with that demographic. 
And I remember saying, if I don't, um, if we're not doing this, who's going to do it? And I remember God said, if you're worried about helping 150 kids in summer camp, 200 kids over here in this after school program, 300, 400 kids in the schools, what can, what could I do through you if you go and teach one person in this organization to do what you've been doing and they go touch a thousand kids and you help this person. And I was able to get the bigger picture. And now I'm doing business coaching and helping businesses. When I looked at the criminal justice, I never would have looked at 41. I was doing that 20 something 41 and saw where I would be and how all of that works together. And so sometimes we just be doing stuff. We don't even, it doesn't even make sense what we're doing. We're just doing it. And God will still work those pieces on your board together for your good. For sure. I am uh, <clears throat> like, there's, there's no, <laughs> if we knew what the end was going to be, life would be so much simpler, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, ministry was never one of the, was never something I, after I became a teenager, ministry was not something I wanted to do. It's something I always knew I was called to do. Even at a young age, as a small age at five years old, I knew God was going to use me for ministry. But there was a stage in my life where I was like, I don't want nothing to do with that. But the, the seed had been planted at an early age. What I was modeling was, was really preparation for what I'm doing now. I went off to do other things since five years old. I, I thought acting was going to be my deal. I, I mean, I acted. I was in movies. I had opportunities to be in Hollywood films. I thought that was my future. I thought that's what I was going to do. But I realized after college, that's not what's going to happen. God had another route for me. Not to say that he still won't use what I knew and what I learned and my experience and my expertise in that area at that point in my life again and later. But you never know what God is going to do. And that's why we have to be fluid. We have to be like water. One of my favorite songs right now is by uh, PJ Morton. And uh, the song is called Be Like Water. That is literally my favorite song right now. Every word that he says in that song is literally how I approach life right now. Like, I don't know what God is going to do tomorrow. I don't know what he's going to do in the next hour. But I'm going to be like water. Whatever he does, I'm going to go with it. The thing about water is it... It can go up against rocks. It can, it just, it's fluid. You know what I mean? And so we just have to be fluid and let God do the hard lifting. Mm-hmm. So in the title of your book, it's called Decoded, The Mystery That Is You. What do you, are you referring to when you talk about the mystery? What mm-hmm. aspects of the person are you t- con- talking about when you talk about the mystery? The mystery is what you don't know. <laughs> the mystery is literally what you don't know. We have an idea. We have a, a a hunch we have a, a it might be it's possible it could be but there's never a guarantee we never know and so it's always a mystery until it's revealed and so I think when I said decoded discovering the mystery that is you it's literally looking inside yourself looking at who you are and figuring out or trying to figure out what that thing is about you that you don't know many mm-hmm. people struggle with finding purpose they struggle with finding mission it's funny when we're younger we're taught to go to school, get a job, graduate, get a good job and take care of a family. Yeah. Nobody ever teaches us or nobody ever tells us to find out how to walk in your purpose. There's no classes for that. Not in college, at least I haven't heard of it. Mm -hmm. And the truth of the matter is money doesn't make us happy. A title really doesn't make us happy. Do you want to know the happiest people in the world who they are? There are people who are walking in purpose and mission. Yeah. And so 
until you can discover the mystery, which is your mission and your purpose, your passion, you're not going to be fully happy. You're mm -hmm. always going to be looking for the next thing. But how do you do that? People want, because people want to know everybody, like you said, you get on, on Facebook and Instagram, everything is walking your God given purpose and your destiny is this. And it sounds good. And even um, for me, it was a while when I first decided, oh, you know what? I think I want to get into life coaching that I'm talking about helping people find their purpose. And I didn't even know mine. Yeah. <laughs> and it, I was helping people find theirs. But in the deep down, I'm like, I really don't even know what mine are, what my purpose is, because I knew things I'm, I'm, I know things I'm good at, you know, at that time, I knew things I was good at, I knew things that I enjoyed. Um, I knew what people called me for, and the things that people depended on me from. But I couldn't say that that was my purpose. And I think that during that time, that was the most um, uncertain time of my life, because it's almost like you're you're afraid to make certain decisions because you don't know what direction you're really supposed to be heading. And so what happens is, and I think you may have even mentioned something about this in the book, instead of making a decision, and this is why I found myself and I had, I have to really be um, very intentional about this, is instead of making the wrong decision, I'm always worried about making the wrong decision that I don't make any decision at all. Yeah. And no, not making a decision is a decision. And so an action can derail your purpose quicker than doing something, getting it wrong, learning from the mistakes and trying again. And that's why you have to relieve yourself of the pressure <laughs> of what you do, right? Because mm -hmm. there's, there's going to be anxiety, whichever on the pendulum you sway. If you make the wrong decision, you're going to feel anxiety about it. If you don't make a decision, you're going to feel anxiety about it because nothing happened and so you have to get to this place where you're like water you're just going to do and you're going to trust and you're going to believe and um you asked me how do you find your purpose how you find your mission and i was going to tell you and then i realized wait if i tell them why are they going to buy the book decode it but what I will do, <laughs> that's good that's good if you want to know how if you want to know i ain't gonna tell you it's a win all be all but a good step to figuring that out is purchasing I agree. The book. but i will tell you this most people try to find their purpose and their mission off of what makes them happy and what brings them excitement. That's what people have told you. That's what people have said. Your purpose is whatever excites you, whatever. When you do it, you get excited about it. You wake up in the morning. You can't wait to do it. That's your purpose. That is not <laughs> true. I've found that your purpose is often tied to the thing that irritates you the most. It's actually the complete opposite. Mm. It's the thing that bothers you. It's the thing that irritates you. It's the thing that makes you say, why, would, why, would some, why won't somebody just do something about that? Or mm. why won't somebody uh, address that situation? Or didn't they see that that could be fixed? Well, no, they didn't. Why? Because it wasn't their purpose. It wasn't their mission. God yeah. gave that irritation to get you to move. It's yeah. the same thing when we look at the Bible, when we look at the people who got up and they did the things that God had told them to do. Most of the time, those people did it not because they wanted to. They did it reluctantly. Mm -hmm. Moses, he had to free. His purpose was to free the children of Israel. He didn't want to do it. He thought he had a stuttering problem. He tried to make excuses. I killed a man. They don't want to listen to me. I'm not the one. But God used him because he was obedient. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Kenya said, amen. She loves that concept that you said, be like water. She likes that. Um. Lachey said, the thing that scares you. 
So in your book, and we're going to be winding down, but we started late. So I'm going, I'm going to keep on going for a little bit more because this is just so good. If people got to log off, you can go ahead and log off and catch the replay. But uh, this is just so good. And it's a couple of things I really want to make sure that I touch on before you go, because it was just so good. In the book, you talk about the movie Spider-Man and you and spending some time with your sons watching the movie Spider-Man. And in the movie, um, the guy's name is Miles Monroe and the one that you all watch. And he gets bitten by a radioactive spider, which transforms him into Spider-Man. And so he starts seeing signs of his superpowers, um, but he doesn't initially know how to use them. And so what really got me with that, and you went deeper in the book about it, is that's so much like our spiritual giftings. It's so much like our talents. It's so much like those glimpses and those clues that you're talking about decoding that you have to decode in life. God often gives us these glimpses um, into our lives and shows us just a little bit to kind of get us moving in a certain direction. And we don't always understand how to use some of the gifts that God gives us initially. And it takes time. uh, It takes experience. It takes wisdom for God to start developing those gifts and those talents. And it's just like um, playing an instrument. You know, when you first pick up a saxophone, I remember you used to play the saxophone. When you first pick up the saxophone, you all you knew was to blow in it. You didn't know how to breathe properly, how to blow, how to hold your jaws. You didn't know how to which keys, how to read music, any of that stuff. But it took practice. And over time, you learn how to use all of the keys and all of the pieces on that saxophone to make beautiful music. And so that's what it made me think about when you were giving the example of Spider-Man and talking about all of that. Um, You said, let me see, you said God starts giving us glimpses of our, um, I don't know if you said or if I said it, it's in my notes. He starts giving us uh, glimpses of our spiritual gifts and talents or the impact, but we don't understand how to u- utilize them quite yet. So my question is, how do you start decoding those clues and how do we learn how to use them once we decode them? For sure. <clears throat> that's, a, that's very loaded. That's a loaded question. It's cool. I'll say it like this. Um, some things are caught and some things are taught. Mm-hmm. Some things you can catch on by watching other people do it, by being in the room, by seeing it. And then some things have to be taught. You have to be trained. You have to be uh, molded to be a certain thing. Um, that's why you talked about Spider-Man, Miles Morales, which is my- oh, What I call him, Miles Monroe. <laughs> very disrespectful to the Spider-Man, Spider-Verse <laughs> Um, Miles Morales is one of my son's favorite characters. And I love that because he doesn't even know who Miles Morales is Mm -hmm. in the full scope of the meaning of that movie yet. But the fact that he's caught on, he's caught that at an early age, you missed that. He's caught that. He's caught something about that movie. Mm -hmm. It's going to be up to me and people who are going to come around him to teach him to where he can be taught on how to use certain things. So there's little seeds that we catch, there's little seeds that God puts in us and planted. So if you look at the movie Spider-Verse with Miles Morales, Miles Morales gets bit by by this radioactive spider and then he starts to get these gifts, these superpowers. And Mm -hmm. it's not until he's teamed up and matched with the official Spider-Man from another Spider-Verse who was able to show him how to use his gifts. 
And that's what it's like with us. Some of, many of us, all of us have a gift. We have a spiritual, special gift. Some of us have spiritual gifts to do certain things, but you have to be taught in that area how to utilize it. And you can't just do it on your own. You have to go to places where these things are happening. You have to go to churches. You have to go to conferences. You have to get with a mentor. You have to get with somebody who can say, hey, I know what you're experiencing. I've been there before. And this is how you uh, get to this level. This is how you pull that out. And so how do you do it? First of all, you have to recognize you have it. How do you recognize that you have it? Because certain things just click for you. Like, I don't even know how to explain it. Certain things, God will reveal certain things to you that, that other people don't see. Mm -hmm. um, God will speak to you in certain ways or he'll allow you to be able to connect with the person on a level that nobody else can connect with. That's a gift that God has given you. And there are so many different spiritual gifts. We don't have time. That's a whole nother show. But you have to be in the arena of where these things are happening. And when you're not in these arena, when you're not exposed, you don't even realize how important it is to maximize because of the environment that you're in. That's good. And I could elaborate on that so much, but I want to get to one of the questions in the chat. He says, people give up. What is the best way to tell them don't give up? People nowadays give up because of either bullying or life. What would be your words to those folks? And I just had a conversation with Cedric Williams not too long ago, and he actually just wrote a book as well. And his book is focused on bullying. And one of the things that it really brought up to me is that with him bringing up the bullying, adults get bullied all the time. People sometimes think it's just children, but adults get bullied at work. Adults get bullied by their children, by their spouses, by people in their family. So how would you answer that um, question? And let me know if I need to read it again. If I'm, if I'm understanding the question. So for me, giving up is a matter of perspective, Right. What you call giving up may be someone flowing like water. Uh, what you call quitting may be someone finding something that's higher, that's bigger than themselves to say, what am I chasing? Why am I chasing that? Giving up is all about perspective. Um, mm -hmm. Giving up is not about moving at the pace of a machine, right? You have mm -hmm. to know what God has gifted you and qualified you with at that moment in time, and you have to move with that. Mm -hmm. um, and let's be honest, some things you do need to give up and some things you do need to quit. But when God has called you, when he's purposed you, it ain't no way you can quit. It may not look like how you were doing it, but you ain't gave up. You're just riding away. That's good. Thank you. Um, let me see. It says, Jermichael is a visionary, full of imagination and wisdom and just plain old common sense. <laughs> Um, Kenya says some things being taught and some things being caught. She really liked that. So as we get ready to close, it was just maybe one or two more things I want to talk on. And this conversation go on forever. So we're going to probably need to take this to Instagram because people are over on Instagram been mad at me because we're not on Instagram. They say, you're always doing something on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook. Well, I tried to stream, but it won't let me do that on Instagram. We can't stream. So we're going to do this again this week and um, have this conversation we if are. you're available. We yes, are. if you're available. <laughs> We're and if praying. not, we can do it next week. But just to, because they need to hear this too. People on Instagram need to hear too. Uh, through half our conversation, we keep bringing up Instagram. So, so many of these things um, that we have experienced are happening over on that platform. So we're going to go over there. But before we close out, um, I wanted to touch on in the um, book, let's see, you were talking about expectations. Um, it's a whole chapter on expectations. 
And you were saying that living in the state of expectancy is difficult because there is never a guarantee of an appointment appointed time attached. There is never a guarantee or appointed time attached to when you will receive what you expect. And just because we expect it does not mean that it will always come into fruition. There is always a chance of disappointment. So my question to you is, as you're going through life and you're starting to decode these different experiences and you're looking at these experiences and these clues um, that you call them, and you're looking to see how does this um, align with my life right now? You know, what am I supposed to learn from this? What am I supposed to do with this information now that I've sat here and, you know, evaluated and decoded it? And so how do you handle the disappointment of unfulfilled expectations or the disappointment of what you thought would happen, especially when you feel like that's what God told you to do or that's what God told you what will happen? How do you deal with the disappointment um, when those things that you thought were going to happen don't come to pass? Flow like water. (laughs) Flow like water. I mean... you can't change it. You can't fix it. It's nothing you can do about it. Um, we all have grandiose ideas, expectations, things that we want, we desire. Um, and sometimes they're not what God's purpose is or for our destiny. Um, I truly believe that destiny is really is when what you're pursuing collides with what God is doing. That's mm-hmm. destiny. And so I have to say, you have to stay in a place of pursuing, which is not giving up. You're always in pursuit of the best, greatest version of yourself. You're always in pursuit of being who God called you to be and doing the things he's commanded us to do. And in that pursuit, we'll collide with what he's doing. And so flowing like water and realizing that my destiny is nothing that I can control. It's something I can participate in. And so that's how I deal with um, not having lofty expectations, um, but but being reliant. And I will also add to that, that sometimes we think that it hasn't come to fruition and that means that we heard God wrong or it mean, or we may feel, um, you know, that we didn't understand it clearly, but sometimes it just hasn't happened yet. Or sometimes it's happened. It just didn't show up the way we expected it. And so because things don't sometimes show up in the way that you expected it to, we miss it all together and think it didn't show up at all. But sometimes God shows up in disguise. You know, disguise is a clue, <laughs> something to be decoded. For sure. And, um, and the last thing, you had a quote in your book. And I just thought, and we're going to end on this. You said expectation is like a powerful vaccination, which blocks the virus of doubt and has the symptoms of frustration. Did I say, okay. Look, I did talk to text when I was reading. <laughs> <laughs> is that not how you said it? No, Let me find it in my book. What page is this? Hold on. Because I want to make sure I quote you right. Expectate. Okay. Yeah, I did. Expectation is like a powerful vaccination which blocks the virus of doubt and eases the symptoms of frustration. That's what you said. Yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> that, that was powerful. That was powerful. Can you kind of just go in a little depth with that and explain that a little bit more? Yeah. Um, expectation is the thing that keeps us going. It is the hope. It is the vaccination that blocks out da- doubt 
and frustration and everything else that the enemy tries to, to put in our minds. Uh, it's when you know you've heard from God or what God said and other people in other situations, things may look like, ah, oh, that's not what it is. That's a virus. <laughs> Anything that contradicts what God has said about you in your life is a virus. And it's that expectation, it's that hope that God continuously reinforces in our lives that becomes a vaccination or the vaccine that allows us to keep going. Um, I've had many, many vaccinations in my life <laughs> for that very reason. And so I, I was just telling anyone out there who, if you know you've heard from God, you know what he's told you, you know what he said, he's a God that he cannot lie. He makes promises to his children and he keeps them. Mm -hmm. And so anything that's contrary to what he said, understand that you gotta be expected. You can only get on the level that you, you can only receive on the level that you believe, mm -hmm. right? And so if you believe it, he can do it. You can receive it. But if you don't, you got any doubt, it won't happen. Yeah. And so you just have to just continue to have faith. Um, I think COVID, I think I wrote that actual quote that came to me during COVID season when COVID mm -hmm. was taking everybody out and everybody said, we need to get vaccinated. Mm -hmm. But everybody that wanted to get vaccinated was losing hope and losing faith, expectation of what the future was going to hold. Now look at us. Mm -hmm. We over here without masks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that goes back to one of the quotes you said sometimes God has to kill our expectations so we have room to accept He is. And I really like that. So I want to thank you all um, for joining us tonight. I see where Eric was feeling what you said too. When your pursuit, um, when you're pursuing collides with what God is doing. He said that was good. And I definitely agree. I, I need to put that in my notes. I might put that in my book too and put uh, my, my name. <laughs> but that was really good. And so I want to thank you all for joining us tonight. Um, your book, like I said, is just so inspiring. And if you do not have this book, y'all really need to get it because I was trying to skip through and not give away too much. But Jermichael shares some really transparent moments in his book. He shares experiences he's had. He has a story in there about his first clue. Um, and the first clue had to do with a cardboard box. So I'm not going to tell you what it was, but if you look at him today and then you go read his story about his first clue, and that's how the intro actually starts out, you'll understand how God works everything for your good and how God is um, maneuvering those chess pieces on the board, even when you don't understand if the way you're placing them is going to um, get you that checkmate in the end. So did I did I do okay with that? Did that make sense? Yeah, good. And like I know what I'm talking about, don't. Okay, so I want to let you all know jamichaeldjordan.com is where you can get that book. Um get the website, he can ship it to you. Um the one thing I really like about this book, on top of everything else I said, is that it really meets you where you are. It really, no matter what your situation is, where you are in life, um, what stage of life you're in, everybody has experienced those valley moments. Some of us uh, are on our way to those moments. Some of us are in those valley moments or experiences. And some of us are just coming out of them. And so regardless of where you are, it's something for everyone in this book. Um, and he has 
The other thing I like about it is you have lessons and he literally breaks it down into like steps throughout the book. He has reflection questions that after each chapter he asks you so that you can reflect and asking you questions to help you to start decoding those um, clues in your life that sometimes we ignore, don't even realize our clues. So in um, getting ready to close out, what um, if there was one big thing that people could take away Actually, no, I don't even want to do that because I want people to take away what they take away when they read the book. But if there was one thing that you wrote about in your book that you could, you wish your 12-year-old self could have read, your younger you could have read in this book, what would it have been? Mm. Man, 12-year-old self? Um, the champion attitude. Mm. Champion out. That that's a, a a segment in the book. I talk about um, a true champion never looks at a situation and say, "What now?" A true champion looks at every situation and say, "What's next?" Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if I would have adopted that mindset early at that age, <clears throat> it would I would be a lot further along just in my thought and maturity as you know what I mean. And so mm-hmm. I think that's something that we all need to realize is that life is going to throw us hard balls. It's going to throw us curves. It's going to throw us all types of balls. But we have to be able to say, you know what? I might have struck out my mm-hmm. first time at bat. I might have struck out my second time at bat. But I'm a champion. God mm-hmm. has made me to be a winner, not a loser, to be ahead, not to tell. And I have to know that whatever I go through, it ain't about what's next, what's happening. Mm-hmm. It's about it ain't about what now it's about what's next and what's getting ready to happen so uh get excited about your next clue um get excited about what god is going to do and uh that's 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 it man yes well thank you um and in closing out i'm like a baptist preacher what they said we get three closes yeah about four or five (laughs) okay so it don't matter this how video i did in closing you said and these were your words expectation gives us hope It is what we believe in our hearts will happen. Expectation allows us to look past our current circumstances with the anticipation of the future. And so I really wanted to leave that quote with them um, before we end this, because that's what it's all about. What are you expecting? What are you expecting in life? If it's not exciting, maybe you're expecting the wrong things. And so definitely go get this book, Jermichael D. Jordan again. Anything you want to say before we close them out? Thank you all for joining us. Um, You will be able to watch the replay maybe for a day or two, and then I'll take it off and move it to my YouTube platform where you can watch all of the past other past episodes of My Story Mondays. So anything else that you want to leave with us? No, just thank you again for allowing me the opportunity to be on your My Story Mondays. Thank you for everybody who's chimed in, the viewed, to asked the question, to made a comment. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. Can't wait to go back and read those. And uh, just continue to have faith and have hope. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you might be in life, what you're expecting. But I'm telling you, it can happen. It will happen if God said it. And you got to believe it and trust it. Keep walking in faith and uh, it, it, it'll get done. And uh, like you said, www.jermichaeldjordan.com. You can purchase the book. You can also purchase it on Amazon. However, you're going to pay a lot more <laughs> on Amazon. So I would suggest that uh, you buy from the website for a much cheaper price. And uh, yeah, man. Thank One you. important thing that we did not discuss, and I cannot end this without talking about this. Um, 
this book is so good that when I finished it, it's like I wanted to hear more. And guess what? You can hear more. You have a podcast called Decoded. We have not talked about the podcast Decoded, and you're in your second season. You, did you, have you finished your second season, or you're in the midst of it now? That's it. We're getting ready to go on a pause in our second season. We got a couple more episodes. And so Decoded, which was another thing that I started during the pandemic. I told you, just I was not finna go through this moment in time and not come out with something. We came out with a book and a podcast. So you can find Decoded the podcast on Apple. Uh, where you listen to any of your podcasts on Google Play, Apple, uh, Anchor, all types of different places. So wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find my podcast. And you can also follow me on Instagram and my social media sites at Jamichael D. Jordan. That's it. Okay. All right. That sounds good. Go check out the podcast and you can binge listen to them. I love season one. Yes. And subscribe. Um, I love season one. And you need to create a YouTube page. We need to hear you on YouTube and see you on YouTube. We need some videos and things because you have so much wisdom and so much knowledge that the world needs to hear. And so we need you to move on over there. And so go check it out. Season one was good, but season two is fire. And so thank you all. Love you all. And until next time, I don't have a tagline, but until next time, keep defining your life before life defines you. That's it. I love you. Love you. Bye. <laughs>